Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you have your Bibles this morning, will be in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, that is the fifth book of the Bible. It actually means second law because uh, a lot of what's in it is repeated from the book of Exodus and, um, and other, uh, a little bit from Numbers and Leviticus as well. So it's kind of a second, a reiteration of the law, but the way the the way the writer of Deuteronomy puts it, uh, he, he kind of gives almost a prophetic perspective, the prophet's view of the law. And so, so there's some interesting uh, differences about them, and, and we'll see one of those play into the text this morning. Um, I like to, when I approach Scripture, I like to kind of know a little bit of the background first. And so, so I, I kind of give that to you as a sense of, Helping you kind of know where 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 the what's going into this book that you're reading. You know, many things mean Christmas. Uh, the smell of seasonal treats baking in the oven a day or two before a big family get together kind of kind of speaks to the holiday season. Those familiar classic carols blaring on the radio on every single station, whether you want to hear them or not, uh, <laughs> that says Christmas. The the talk of snow even though we don't ever see snow around here anytime near Christmas now I, I, not, I can't say never do we I was growing up in Mobile uh, I was a middle schooler a little bit older than James and I remember us in December getting a day out of school leaving early because there was a dusting on the ground it was enough to stick it wasn't enough to do anything but make people drive like maniacs but that's all it takes in Mobile because we only get snow like every 10 years. So, so we were out of school uh, because of it. So I, I absolutely loved it. It was enough to play in, but not enough to have to shovel. So that's the perfect spot for snow. Something about snow, though, uh, uh, people start talking about, you think it's going to snow, even though that we've got no chance here. Maybe a, a little bit further north of us, they get some snow this time of year, but, but not us. One of the best things about Christmas, one of the things that says Christmas most to me is giving gifts. I used to think getting gifts were great, right? When you're a kid, and man, it's all about getting the gifts and what am I going to get? And then, you know, it takes your parents like six hours to gift wrap everything and it takes you like 20 seconds to, to have gift wrap all over the floor. I used to think getting the gifts was the great part, but then when I had kids and I watched them, oh man, giving is so much better. Because you get to see their excitement. You get to see them wondering what's in it and anticipating and jumping on the bed saying, it's right, come on, it's Christmas morning. Come on, let's go open presents. Watching them get excited, uh, even though I might be a little bit groggy, <laughs> a little bit tired, watching them open their gifts, it really is incredible. God gives us so many wonderful gifts. And I like to think, like, like a parent, Christmas morning, God just loves to see the excitement as we receive his gifts with gratitude. But you know, God's gifts, they're not just presents for us to have. They also have responsibilities of how we use them. So just like a, a kid has to learn to pick up the bullets from his new Nerf gun or learn how to use her bow and arrow safely, in the same kind of way, we need to learn to use the gifts that God gives us. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the gifts of Christmas, some of the things that God gives us and the responsibilities that come along with them. Today, we start with God's most basic 
but perhaps most precious gift of all, the gift of life. Stand with me as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 30. We read the first 10 verses. Now we're going to read the rest of the chapter. Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 11. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your God-given life. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and if you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Pray with me. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we have a choice before us. Help us to choose life. Honor the reading and preaching of your word by spurring us to obedience. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. You know, um, when God give his, gave his commandments to the people of Israel, he wasn't just giving them a do list and a don't list. He wasn't just giving them a checklist to make sure you get all these things done, but avoid these things over here. That, that wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't just giving them a set of restrictions just to hold them back. He wasn't sitting in heaven looking for a reason to punish them for just the slightest error. Deuteronomy recounts the giving of the law to Moses. Throughout the book, God is laying out the commandments to the covenant people. And just the fact that God would want to covenant with people is pretty amazing. You see, because in Old Testament times, God didn't covenant with people. No other nation had a covenant with their God. Now, they called their God as a witness to the covenants they made with other people. But no God anywhere in the ancient world makes a covenant with his people. Of course, they're all false gods. That's why, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, little little hurdle there. But the true God not only lords above his people, but he comes to covenant with them. That is an incredible fact. And it's something that's more than just a fact. It, it, it changes the way that we approach scripture. Here's the creator of the universe seeking to establish relationship with people. And you know, the funny thing is, you would expect if God, God, I mean, God is, I mean, he's far above us. He's infinite, we're finite, we can't comprehend him, we can't understand him. We can only relate to him in the way that, that he opens himself up to us. We can only understand him by the way that, that he opens himself up. And yet this God, when he gives his word to Israel, he doesn't ask them to do something that is just well beyond what they can do. 
Listen to verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. He says it's not too hard to understand. It's not too hard to accomplish. Not too hard to obtain. Now, when we think of God's word, we often think of things that, that we struggle with and we never are quite able to do. And there is that sense that we cannot do what God requires of us. Because of our sinful nature, we are incapable of fulfilling his law. But it's not because we can't understand it. And it's not because we haven't gotten it. Because of our nature, our sin prevents that relationship with God. He says, verse 12, it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. It's, it's not in some faraway place. It, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a supercomputer to compute, to, to solve the equations to figure this out. He doesn't put it in heaven. Even if he did put it in heaven, we would still have to go get it. But he doesn't do that. He puts it to us. He gives it to us. He says, here it is. You don't have to go to some extreme place. Verse 13, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. You don't need some superhero to go on an epic quest to get for you the mysteries of God's commandments. He hands them to you. Every other people in the world at that time thought that they had to uncover what their God wanted of them. But this people, God says, I'll tell you exactly what I want. I'll make it plain to you. Not only will I tell you, I'll tell you twice. I'll, I'll write it down twice for you. The Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. They're also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'll give you two tablets with ten simple commandments. Half of them are only two words in Hebrew. Not you will do something. Not you will murder. Not you will steal. Not you will commit adultery. Those are all two words. It doesn't get much simpler than that. God says, I'm not looking to make this so difficult that you can't possibly even figure out what I want, nonetheless actually accomplish it. I'm giving it to you. One of the Jewish rabbis said, even if it was in heaven, it would be our responsibility to figure it out. Think about the Israelites in Egypt. They come to Pharaoh. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, oh, y'all want to leave? Okay. All right, I'll make the work harder. We're not gathering straw for your bricks anymore. You got to go gather the straw and make the same number of bricks. God doesn't do that to his people. God says, here's everything you need. Here is the breath that you need the strength that you need, the wisdom that you need, my word, my commandments, laid out for you simply, easy to understand, not so far off that you can't get it, not so difficult that you can't comprehend it. And then through his Holy Spirit, here's the power to actually make it happen. He gives us everything we need, everything. God's gift, freely given to us. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about life. It's kind of funny because the author of Deuteronomy, I don't know who put it together. I don't, I, Moses is said to have written this book traditionally, but there's others that, that believe that the book was compiled into this form later on. I, I don't know exactly who did this, but whoever did it, uh, he, seems to, he seems to put these concepts together. And I think, I think, it's, I th I think this is something wise for us to see. 
Look at verse 15. He says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now these, uh, sometimes words have meanings that expand by the way that you use them. Life and good, good here. I'm sorry, not life, good. Good is a word, tov is the Hebrew word, and it means prosperity. Normally, we think of that as an economic term, right? When you're prosperous, you got plenty of money. You got plenty of goods, possessions, that kind of thing. The Hebrew idea is more expansive than that. Than that. It, it, it involves wealth, but it also involves good health, wisdom, God's general favor on your life. So when this says good here, he's not just talking about the moral good. There's this sense in which the physical good is involved as well. A little bit later, he'll use a different word, blessing. It has this same kind of idea. The word evil here. It's not just the moral evil, though it can be used that way. It means more generally adversity. I'm giving you the chance to experience a life that is full of the good things that I want for you or to experience a life that's full of the bad things. Every choice we make has a consequence, right? Sometimes they are not really good, not really bad. Sometimes they're more irritating than anything. Your bulletins this morning was a dumb choice that I made not to do it right. I didn't check one setting and there you go. Now you got strange bulletins. It was a choice with a consequence. Every choice we make has consequences. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Some of them, sometimes we make a good choice and man, we have things happen and we're just like, well, hey, that's great. (laughs) I didn't realize, sometimes you pick a good stock and it goes up in value and you're like, yeah, all right, I can deal with that. Sometimes you, you decide to have something for dinner and so you turn a different way than what you're planning on And then you find out that a couple minutes after you turned, there was a bad wreck right there, and you'd have been there had you not decided to go somewhere else. Sometimes we make choices that have good consequences. Sometimes we make choices with bad consequences. Sometimes our choices lead us to have to do things harder than what we want to. I I was unloading a pallet of water one time. If you've ever unloaded a pallet of water, uh, uh, you, you know that around the 60th or 70th case of water, they start to get really heavy. I don't know what they do. I guess they put lead in some of the waters um, because they get really heavy as you get along. And I started stacking them up in a strange way. And I later figured out when I got to case 50 or 60 that this isn't going to work. And I was having to move some of the waters I'd already moved because I was stacking them in a bad way. A bad choice with a bad consequence. That's what this is saying here. Look, I'm giving you the choice. I'm giving you the choice between life, good things, prosperity, in in all of its forms, not just the economic. Prosperity in in having family that loves you and, and having joy and satisfaction. Or you can choose death and evil, adversity. You've got the choice. The people of Israel have a choice to make. God's giving them life. What would they do with it? God lays out the options and he starts with the positive response. Verse 16, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. 
Look, you, you want to see how this looks like when you choose life? This is what it looks like. And there's a couple of things here that he talks about. Not just what the life is, but what, what it looks like when we obey his commands. He says first, by loving the Lord. That seems familiar. Love the Lord your God like with all your heart and with all your soul. Did y'all hear that in the beginning of Deuteronomy 30 earlier when I was reading? Did you hear that refrain repeated a couple of times? Yes, you did. I'll answer that question for you. Yes, you heard it. A couple of times he repeats it. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's Oh yeah, Deuteronomy 6. He's taking some of these same things and bringing them back in. In fact, he's really tying a big bow on the entire covenant. This is the conclusion of the covenant. He's saying, look, this is all of what God has commanded you. Now you have a choice. Now you know what God expects of you. And if you choose to obey, if you choose to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, then it will work well for you. You, we, We obey God by loving him. You know, it's really hard to do something against someone that you love. Second, by walking in his ways. By loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways. Following him. You know, it amazes me. You look at the the disciples of Jesus. What did he tell them? He didn't tell them, go enroll in my school. Get a degree from Jesus, you. He didn't tell them that. You know what he said? What did he say? What did he tell the disciples when he was calling them? What did he say to them? What was the command? Follow me. He didn't say, do as I say, not as I do. He said, do what I do. Come follow me around. Come do the things that I'm doing. All right, now you go do those same things. I'm giving you power. He calls us to live a life that reflects the obedience that he demonstrated for us. And by walking in his ways, what we are doing is following him. The call is just as clear to us today as it was to Levi at the tax booth, as Peter on the boat. Follow me. Walk in my ways. Third, by keeping his commandments. He he says this, the commandments and the statutes and the rules. He's using a whole bunch of different words to all indicate the same thing. Everything that I've commanded of you, you should do. Obey, keep my commandments. All that he has spoken. So so when we're living this kind of life where we're loving God and we're following God and we're obeying God, obedience isn't just doing what God says. Uh, uh, There's more to it than that. Um, Here you go. Mama tells the kid, clean your room. What does obedience look like? Yes, ma'am. The kid hurries to the room. Doesn't run in the house. But hurries to the room and does everything Mama expects. Right the first time. No exceptions. No excuses, no whining, no kicking things under the bed where she won't see them, hiding things in the closet or in the dresser drawers. Obedience is more than just doing what you're supposed to do. It's doing what you're supposed to do in the way that you're supposed to do it, with the attitude that you're supposed to do it, for the reason that you're supposed to do it. It's loving mama enough to have a positive attitude and to do everything that she's expecting you to do right the first time. That's obedience. And some of you kids are like, let's get on to a different subject here. I understand that, okay? I completely do. But you see, obedience, obedience isn't just about doing what mama said. It, that, that's, just, that's just a primer. 
to get you ready for the true obedience, which is following what God says. See, if you can obey mama, you're in a much better position to obey father. And look, look at the results of obedience. He, he goes on and he says, uh, then you shall live. If you are willing to do the obedient thing, if you are willing to follow my ways, if you are willing to love God, to walk in my ways, to, to keep my commandments, you will live. It's not a question of, well, maybe if I do my part, God might say, well, uh, it took you too long, sorry. Sorry, you, you got disqualified. Said, no, no, if you will do what you are doing, the promise is guaranteed. Hear me on this. It's not that God's promise is provisional on how he feels at the time. It's not that there's some unforeseen circumstances going to come up and God's got to say, well, I'm sorry, I wanted to give you life, but I, I just, my back's hurting today. That's not, that's not God. The promise is guaranteed. You will live. Now, are you going to live because you've earned life? No, no, no. He has given them life. They are merely not wasting it. You will live. You will multiply. Wait a minute, that's another command of God, isn't it? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. So not only are they following the commands that God has given them here and now, but they're also following their purpose, the reason that God created them in the first place, which was to bring Him glory through His creation. Adam and Eve are put in the garden to, to rule over it, to exemplify God's glory on earth and exercise his dominion. And they're able to do that when they follow God's commandments. It opens them up to live the way that God has always meant for them to live, not just to have a life, but to have an abundant life. Did, did you catch earlier in Deuteronomy 30? He says a couple of times, I will make you more prosperous and numerous. He says a little bit later, where was it? Ah, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous. Do you see the difference here? It's not just we're going to keep breathing. We're going to thrive because we're doing it God's way. The, the rewards of obedience. You, God will bless you. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. <laughs> well, no wonder. You're putting yourself in the perfect spot. But you know, there's a process of disobedience too, verse 17. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. Look, look at the process. If your heart turns away, instead of loving God, if your heart's turning away from God. Now there's a completely different story. Notice, this does not start with the action. It starts with the motivation behind the action. A love of God motivates us to serve Him, to obey Him, to do what He's commanded us to do. And we have life out of that obedience. But when we don't love God, when the motivation isn't loving God from the very beginning, then it all goes to pot. Nothing. It doesn't work right. When your heart turns away, then you will not hear. Give Him the command, but you're... You've rejected me, so you've rejected my command. You were drawn away to worship and serve other gods. Well, you got no love for me. Something's got to fill that hole. Because they reject God's word. They reject God's commandments. They reject God. That disobedience is a life that turns away from God. With the heart, with the ears, finally the whole life. It, it values sin more than the Creator. The Creator who has expressed His love through His commandments. 
So it has to be punished. How? Verse 18, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Instead of receiving life, those who reject the means of life will suffer death. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Instead of receiving the blessing of long life in the land of promise, the days of disobedience cut that life short. Disobedience always cuts the blessing off. Always. So Israel has a choice to make. And there's witnesses. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Heaven and earth are, are not literal witnesses. When you're God and you're making a covenant, you can't call on anybody higher than you. So he calls creation. I call, I call them to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. This is now the third time in this chapter that he has specifically said, I'm setting these things before you. I'm offering you a choice. Israel can choose the blessing or the curse, life or death good or evil. He's harking back to Deuteronomy 11. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. That sounds familiar. <laughs> Where have I heard? Oh yeah, these same things just keep recurring. Because remember, this writer, this compiler, this person that's putting all this together is recognizing the pattern. Do you see the pattern yet? God is giving them a choice. I'm giving you the opportunity to choose blessing and curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. God is giving the choice to Israel and he's giving the same choice to us. We have before us two divergent options. Life, death, obedience, disobedience. As long as God tarries, man will have to make the choice between life and death, good and evil, blessing and curse. So Moses gives both the Israelites and us the clear call. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land your, the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. It's easy to miss the tree for the whole forest here. God isn't just telling Israel that obedience leads them to life, or even that obedience is the substance of life. Look at verse 20 again. This time, look at what I've highlighted here. He is your life. God's gift of life isn't just a gift from him. It's the gift of him. God is our life. He's not just the, the place we get life from or the place where we find our purpose. He is our life. So this first Christmas gift isn't just an item to have. It's him. This changes everything for the Christian. No longer are we expected to make a life for ourselves. He is our life. In him we live and move and have our being. That's why seven times, seven times in this passage, we find the word life and live. You see the beautiful truth of the passage and throughout, throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy, and I would even argue throughout the entirety of Scripture, is that God gives us life, but requires it, us to use it in obedience to his commands. God gives us life but requires us to use it in obedience to his commands. We have the life that is the gift, 
with the responsibility to use it to obey his words. What if you find you haven't been living life that way? What if you find you've been wasting your life in disobedience to God? There's another word that's often repeated in this chapter. In fact, it also occurs seven times. It's a little harder to find because it gets translated a little differently in the English. So read with me the first 10 verses, but notice on the screen what I've underlined. It's this word, in Hebrew the word is shuv. You might recognize that word. Uh, If you've been here a while, you may remember I did a series through the minor prophets. And, and the word that kept coming up, the word that kept, that kept getting our attention throughout the minor prophets was the same word shuv. It means to repent or to return. Listen to how it's used. Deuteronomy 31. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, here it is, and you call them to mind. You return them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore. There it is again. You return to God and he returns to you. He will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and will gather you again. He returns from the people, all the peoples, where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcast, you're in the uttermost parts of heaven. Farther than you could possibly hope to return them from. From there, the Lord your God will gather you. And from there, he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, not just the physical circumcision that makes you part of the earthly covenant. He will circumcise your heart to get rid of the things that keep you from him so that you can actually follow him with your heart, so you can love him, so you can walk in his way, so you can keep his commandments. He goes the full nine yards and then picks up the extra yard for the first down. God is doing everything here so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you and you shall return. Again, obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. And that's not all. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will return. Well, again, take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you return to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You want to know what to do? If you haven't been living your life in obedience to God, return. Repent of your sins. Return to him. This morning, you might need to return. The altar's open. If you want to come up here, if you want to do it where you are, that's okay too. The main thing is that you return to him. Maybe you've never turned to God in the first place. Maybe you've heard of him, but you've never asked him to take full control. Maybe you've never recognized 
just how good he's been to you. Just the choice that he's put before you, the choice of life or death, blessing or curse, good or evil. I want to urge you, choose life. I'll be up here at the front. I'd love to help you do that. Whatever God's doing, you follow him in obedience. Let's pray. Father, this is your time. God, I pray that we would choose life. Pray that we would choose to follow you. Help us in this time to make the right choice. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll turn to page 504, 504. Without him I could do Without a sin.